Uh, today we will be taking an offering at the end of chapel for the Haiti water well. We already have several hundred dollars contributed and some youth groups are raising money as well. So uh, just keep that in mind as we draw close to the end of service. We also have a, a ministry here at school called Jump Drama. I no, don't know if you're familiar with Jump Drama, but you'll get to see them perform today. Um, we had set the date to have them perform today, and then a couple weeks ago I realized, oh my goodness, it's, it's Holy Week, and I thought we might have to reschedule. But actually, uh, the piece that they want to do fits well here with our Holy Week theme. Now, many of you here will be familiar and will have actually seen the skit that they're about to do, whether in your youth group or even being here at ENC. But keep in mind that a lot of people have not. Uh, so I uh, just encourage you to be open to their ministry. I'm really excited, so thank you, Jump Drama, for helping in chapel today. And I'll probably mention it again as we draw closer to our communion time uh, here at the end of the service. Here, when we take communion or the Eucharist, uh, we in the Church of the Nazarene believe in an open table. Uh, what that means is that everybody is welcome to come and take communion. It is not for us to say who can come or who cannot come. So don't feel uh, like you cannot take part. Um, we want you to feel like you can take part. Again, it is the Lord's table, and all, all are welcome. And, and by taking, you're not joining our church or being unfaithful to your, your church. But if for some reason you're not comfortable with it, we'll have a prayer of blessing for you. But again, I just want to make sure that, that you all know that we, uh, we are one in Christ Jesus, and uh, Christ went to the cross for all of us. And there's much more that unites us in Christ than separates us. And going to the Lord's table together uh, can help remind us of that. So hear the psalm text for this uh, Holy Wednesday. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my supplications, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of hell laid hold on me, I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, I pray, save my life. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we gather in your name this holy week in the midst of a very busy semester, at the end of a very tiring winter. Our bodies are tired, broken, and sick, and yet there's still much to do. But in this holy week, Lord, we pray that we find time to pause, including in this chapel service, to simply worship you, to reflect, to ponder all that you have done for us. We pray for that student whose grandmother passed away today. We pray for Professor Montague Williams and Jenny Williams, whose, whose mother will be taken off life support tomorrow morning. We pray you comfort him over these next few hours and over these next few days. And in this week, in these days before Easter Sunday, in these days of darkness, in Jesus' most difficult days and hours, May we hold on to the hope to know that on Easter Sunday in all the different parishes and churches we will be in on Sunday morning, we will say together with the church universal, He is risen. He is risen indeed. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it, uh, during spring break, as many of you know, uh, a group of us went to Haiti. Um, and it was a difficult week for me because one of you so 
joyfully, I hope, well, I hope it wasn't joyfully, gave me that terrible cold uh, that was going around. So thank you for that precious, precious gift. Um, you know, the one that lasts a few weeks and everyone's kind of just trying to get to class while trying to recover. And so that happened. So I slept maybe 15 hours that week because it became a chest cold. And you know, when you lay down, you start to cough. And we all, all six or eight of us, six of us uh, were in, uh, all the guys were in the same room together in a very close quarter. And um, I kept coughing and kept coughing, and they uh, weren't very Christian uh, as they asked me to leave the room and kicked me out. And uh, Dr. Cornelly was the one uh, most angry about me being there, so I had to, I had to I'm kidding. They were very gracious and, and very kind, and uh, Dr. Cornelly provided me with a bottle of ZZZZQL. Uh, which was uh, which was helpful for the first night for a few hours, but but wasn't really doing the trick. Um, so it was a, it was already a tough and exhausting week, and we met some incredible pe- people, and the group did some great things. I wasn't as helpful as I should have been. Uh, one day I was able to work and helped paint the medical clinic, and we got paint all over the floor and uh, made it worse than it was before we started. But we did it in the love of Jesus, so it's it's fine. <clears throat> we had to get gasoline and different things to clean up the uh, paint off the floor and, and did that. Several of the students worked on solar panels, so by the time they left, uh, the medical clinic was completely run on solar power, and we give God, God praise for that so they don't have to use a generator, restocked a medical clinic, a lot of great things. But it was a very difficult week for many reasons, and it started out bad because we were at the airport, and as we, there were a lot of groups coming through Haiti. There were a lot of college groups. We saw college groups coming through. Um, and we saw one, I think they were a youth group, I'm pretty sure they were a youth group, and they had on the back of their t-shirts, you know, they all wear the same shirts, because I guess that's the law that mission teams have to do that, they have to all wear the same uh, hideous looking t-shirt, and so they were wearing, and on the back of it said, bringing light into the darkness of Haiti. Now, I am one who is very gracious, because we're all on different places in our journey, and I will never critique someone publicly um, on Facebook or anything or be critical of churches. I think there's just too much of that and we're all in different places. We're all learning and growing. But I really did want to go over to the director of the group uh, who uh, was probably responsible for designing those shirts and I just wanted to slap them, really. That was really what I was, I was feeling uh, in my heart at that time. I didn't do that. As if the light of Christ was not already there. They felt that because they were coming and they were Christians and they have these hideous-looking yellow T-shirts, that they were bringing the light of Christ. When I assure you, the light of Christ is already very, very present in the country of Haiti. So when we have an opportunity to go there, the Lord's just inviting us to take part in what God is already doing. It's not like we are bringing Christ or we are bringing the light of Christ. God is already at work, and we've seen that in the incredible, incredible people that we met. But we did see some difficult things, and I need to tell you that I was a little nervous at, at one point because uh, some of the uh, things that you hear about Haiti are the voodoo priests. You hear that voodoo is you know, very, very, very prevalent. There's a long historical fact to that, and, and part of that is because the religious face of the day were unjust and many times throughout Haiti's history. So it's more of a cultural thing, and it's, it's very, very complex. It's, it's not just this evil group. And uh, we were in Laogon, and... Uh, the way that the medical clinic works, that through Heart to Heart International, they form a federation because they believe only if the community is working together can we get a medical clinic in or can we get a school in, only when they're working together. And often the most influential people in communities in rural areas is actually the voodoo priest. So I was surprised, and some of us were a little nervous, but there on the day we were working, don't you know that the one that was working hardest that day was the voodoo priest? And as I 
introduced myself and Dr. Cornelly translated, you know, I said, just please thank him for allowing us to work with you. And he was grateful for us. And I learned a little bit more about his story. And it turns out the name, uh, the day that they finished the medical clinic, he informed them. And as the voodoo priest, uh, he's the leader in the community and he can do that though there were other groups uh, helping out, he informed them what the name of the medical clinic was going to be. He knew Heart to Heart was a Christian organization. He knew he had these Christian groups coming in and out. But he was going to be the one to name the medical clinic. And the the name of the medical clinic given by this voodoo priest was the gift from God. The gift from God. So even in our own country... Even in our own nation and community, there is darkness. There is evil and there are things that are not of God. But here and like in Haiti, even in the heart and life of a voodoo priest, God is at work. And the light of Christ shines brightly. But it was difficult the last day and maybe it was because I was sick and tired and uh, the team was a little frustrated with me because I wasn't very helpful and I was keeping them up all night and I just sounded sick and they were avoiding me and just demonstrating Christian love like students do. And we were in a, uh, taking a long trip and we were going through downtown Port-au-Prince and I shared a little bit about this. We were going to the Wani Church of the Nazarene to see where the well was going to be and we were all excited about that. We're actually going to see where the well is going to go and we drove through probably one of the poorest communities of Haiti and I, I knew about uh, Haiti being the poorest country in the Western world, I knew about extreme poverty, but it was far worse than I ever imagined. And um, what was so difficult about it was not that the people weren't hardworking and beautiful and wanting what's best for their family and for their lives. It's the oppression that the country is under by outside countries and influences over their history, but also through um, corrupt government and corrupt systems in place. There's no sanitation system. There's no clean water, even in Port-au-Prince and, and most of the area. So that's why they need these water wells. And, and I need to tell you that it, it overwhelmed me to the point where even to this day, I have, as I would describe it, felt this overwhelming sense of sadness and grief. So what do we do when we come to those experiences like that, not just in world areas, but in your own life where you are overwhelmed with grief and sorrow because maybe there is a death or approaching death or there is disease or sickness and it's just over. What do we do in those days of darkness or at least what, we appear, what appears to us to be darkness? And from our text today, we see Jesus in the darkest hours of his earthly life. So perhaps he can teach us and show us how to respond when you are overwhelmed by the challenges and you are depressed and discouraged and you don't see the hope or you don't see the light of Christ. Maybe in these last days of Jesus' life, he's still trying to teach us something, certainly in his words, but also in his actions. Hear the gospel lesson this morning from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And here Jesus is about to have one last meal with his disciples. And we know that he was probably looking forward to this time to being with them. But their actions and what transpires tells us they weren't even being very thoughtful that night. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the gospel of our Lord. Heavenly Father, your word has been proclaimed. We have seen it acted out through the gift of of students and drama, the gift of music. You have heard it with our songs and in our skits, and we have read it in your word now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Continue to speak, for your servants are listening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So in Jesus' darkest hours, in the darkest of night, at this last meal setting where he was probably looking forward to being with the disciples and probably being overwhelmed with grief and fear, let's just be honest, Jesus was afraid. It's not like he withdraws from his disciples or, or checks out or leaves. He takes the place of a servant and almost engages more fully into the moment. Which I hadn't thought of before. That when we become overwhelmed by the challenges we're facing or we become discouraged or or depressed because we see what we define as darkness around us, maybe we're not supposed to retreat and leave. Maybe we're supposed to engage even more fully. Even if that means taking the place of a slave. Even if that means taking the place of a servant. This evening meal with his disciples, traditionally believed to be the Passover meal, And we hear that Jesus said the hour had come. He knew that that night Judas would betray him. Yet he still washed Judas' feet. He knew that he would be betrayed to death. Maybe we're supposed to follow that example as well to those who will betray us and take advantage of us. Now I don't want to call you into a situation where you will be abused or harmed. That is not of God and you can flee that situation. But here Jesus is modeling for us those who are our enemies that we are supposed to love them as well. But don't feel like you need to stay in an abusive situation or a violent situation or a dangerous situation. Jesus knew he would be handed over to the authorities and that his death was imminent. So to those who who would truly love him until the end, the other disciples, he does something quite unexpected. He takes the place of a servant and washes their feet. What's interesting to me about verse 3 in chapter 13 is that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus had all things under his power. And what does he do? He still takes the place of a servant and a slave and serve others. What do you do when you have power? (laughs) Jesus is modeling for us what we do when we have power. He had all power and yet he still served, was still a servant and still gave his very life. To wash the feet of the guests was the responsibility of the slave. People wore sandals on those dusty and muddy roads, so when they came to a home, there would be a basin of water 
and in the family home, if they had some stature, if they had some resources, there would be a slave to wash the feet of the guests. It was one of the lowest and demeaning tasks in the household. At the very least, a bowl or basin with towels would be made available. From Jesus getting up and wrapping his garment around him and pouring water into a basin, as the text says, it does not appear as if these things were even provided. So though Jesus must have been overwhelmed by fear, grief, and sorrow, he does not leave the meal. He does not leave his disciples, not even Judas. He serves them. He cares for them. It's like in the darkness of these days, he fights even more so to serve and teach and to give his life for others. We see it as we read the final chapters of John's gospel. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus is teaching them, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. John 13, 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 14, do not one, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. So in the darkest of days, he takes the place of a servant and continually teaches them about his love, God's love for them, even to the point that God will send an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with them forever. Maybe that is how we are supposed to respond when we are overwhelmed or in our darkest days. Jesus also needed his time of prayer and solitude to be alone with the Father. And there were those hours when he asked his closest disciples to watch and pray for him. So Jesus did reach out and look for help at times when he was overwhelmed, even to the point of death, as the scripture tells us. And what did his disciples do? They fell asleep. Yet Jesus still moved forward. Still moved forward to the cross and giving his his life as a ransom for all. It's like we can read these texts and only imagine what Jesus must have been carrying The grief, the sorrow, the heartache. But Jesus also knew that he had to go through these things for what was to come. So often I think we try to escape the pain. We try to avoid the suffering and that's very easy in wealthy countries like our own. Frederick Buechner writes, Religion has often been denounced as escapism. (laughs) And it often is. To deny the prevalence of pain in the world... To, be, to maintain your faith by refusing to face any nasty fact that threatens your faith. That is escapism. And we apply it to our spiritual lives too often. There are many ways of escaping reality through religion and should be denounced right along with other things we use to escape. Liquor, drugs, and numerous forms of entertainment, Beekner writes. So we must be careful not to use our faith or our religion to escape from what God wants us to see and where God is calling us to enter into the pain and the suffering and not avoid it, not run from it, not become so overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us to not become overwhelmed to the point of despair that we just give up and leave and run and we'll just send a few dollars, but there's really nothing I can do for you, all of you thousands of people that are sitting on the side of the street in Port-au-Prince. While I was... uh, 
coughing and hacking and doing a whole bunch of other things through the night in Haiti. Again, maybe I slept 15 hours that week. I kept listening to an instrumental piece on an album by Audrey Assad. She's a great, great artist. She was in concert here a few years ago, and she has this instrumental piece. It's only about two minutes and 30 seconds. It's just piano and two violins, and it's rather simple. But I must have listened to it hundreds of times. I just kept it on repeat, trying to fall asleep and just trying to calm me down. But I didn't know what Felix Culpa was or what it meant. And our Catholic brothers and sisters here with us today may know. It is a prayer within the Catholic Church. O Felix Culpa means O Happy Fault. Which is sung within the uh, Paschal Proclamation during this Easter Vigil week. During the service. O Happy Fault are the words and that you would sing in the Catholic Church. Oh, happy fault that merited such and so great a Redeemer. Oh, happy fault that merited such and so great a Redeemer. What that means is that we can be happy for the sin of Adam and Eve. We can be happy because that sin brought us Christ into the world. Who was, as the song goes, so great a Redeemer. Oh, happy fault, the sin of Adam, the sin of Eve. Oh, happy fault that merited such and so great a redeemer. It means that even when we see suffering and pain and injustices, we can be happy. Which doesn't really seem to make sense. But we can rejoice when we see injustices and pain and suffering because we know at the end of this very dark holy week, we know that Christ is on his way. We know that God will raise his son from the grave and all things will be made new. Yes, God is on his way. The great redeemer will rise and we will go to our parishes and our churches and we will say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. So I guess when we come to those days of darkness and pain, we can, I need to confess, I won't always be happy. I won't rejoice. Oh, look at the pain that they're going through. Look at the suffering that they're going through. No, I, in fact, I even struggle with that. I don't know if I can fully even believe into this teaching and theology, but I can believe into the truth that Christ is the great Redeemer. So that whatever pain or injustices or sorrow that we see, that one day will be made right. And for that, we can rejoice this Easter week. I don't know if you remember, I showed a video at the end of chapel uh, the last time I spoke a couple weeks ago by a wonderful poet by name Micah Borns. I'm trying to get Micah for chapel next fall, so it'd be great to have him uh, with us in the chapel. But at the end of this poem that he read, it talked about being a fool for Christ, basically, and how foolish people are looked upon when they offer prayers of healing to believe that God will actually heal or actually pray for a, a country that is oppressed or pray for another third world area and believe that God can actually make a difference. He talks about how those people are fools. But his last line is, was powerful to me. I wonder who's the fool after all. The one who prays, the one who waits, the one who dies believing that God is on his way. Or the one who prays and never is expecting him to come in the first place. So, what type of fool will you be? The one who prays, who waits who dies believing God is on his way? Or the one who prays, but never really expecting God to make a change? 
Never really expecting God to make a change in that person or my family. Never really expecting God to make a change in the poverty, the global poverty. Never expecting God to make a change in the human trafficking and sex trafficking we see in our own cities. What type of fool will you be? C.K. Chesterton has said, The instant hope ceases to be reasonable. The instant hope ceases to be reasonable. Meaning when you have hope that is so ridiculous, so out there, so crazy, the instant hope ceases to be reasonable, it then begins to be useful. (laughs) Because then you realize, yes, God is on his way and that is more than enough for me. God is more than enough for us. So yes, there still is that sorrow, there still is that grief, this kind of feeling on the edge of tears when I think of the people on the streets of Wani community in Port-au-Prince. But something else happened that morning. As we turned off the main street, we went maybe 10 or 20 yards and a, a gate opened and our trucks pulled in and, and within that little tiny, tiny compound was a church building, Wani Church of the Nazarene. And maybe it was, maybe it was uh, three quarters of an acre, maybe less. And they squeezed into those three quarters of an acre, a church building, a primary school, and an upper elementary school. There is this little space between those three buildings where we will place, we will raise enough money for a water well. And as I reflect on that drive, as I reflect on pulling into that church and seeing about a hundred children, And this little three quarters of an acre with three buildings crammed on it. All I could think is that the light of Christ is here. And if the people of Wani and the Port-au-Prince community can proclaim the goodness and beauty of Jesus Christ in the midst of their circumstance, there's no reason why any of us can't do the same. Regardless of where we are in our journey regardless of what we are facing. And we can do so in the hope of Easter Sunday because we know that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Don't flee the dark days. Don't flee the dark days and challenges that come your way. Enter into them more fully like Christ did, picking up the basin and the towel and serving others and loving others, and caring for others, even though there are great obstacles and great challenges. That's what the Wani Church of the Nazarene is doing. And I think we can do the same. And we will stay with the conversation. I don't want to go through just a couple weeks of feeling down and a little emotional as we can without it truly changing us. So we are staying with the conversation. There will be more trips as Dr. Cornley continues his earthquake detection uh, Uh, research that he's doing there with engineering students as we continue building relationships that were established we will stay with the conversation long after you graduate and move on but don't flee the darkness and the discouragement trust that even in that God is present and the light of Christ still shines there is no greater witness there is no greater testimony to that there is no greater reminder to that than when we come to the Lord's table for communion when we come and take part of these elements that are symbols of Christ's body and shed blood, there is no greater reminder. 
So we will gather together today and come around this table. And I'm going to ask uh, the communion service to come at this time. If you could stand before me and we'll uh, hand out the trays. I'm going to ask J.D. to help me in a moment. Hear the words of 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 32. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will the congregation please stand? We started last year incorporating where you are now going to proclaim what we are about to do. So as you preach to yourself and preach to the community, listen closely to what we are proclaiming in the goodness of God. And the responsive reading should be on the board. Who is invited to the Lord's table? Why do we give thanks at this table? We give thanks because Jesus showed us the way. We give thanks because Jesus is the way. Jesus was a gift from God to the world. He was all the man God with us. He came to save us from our sins. Jesus lived a life of thankfulness and gave his life as a sacrifice for many. We give thanks that he is our Savior, Christ the Lord. Why do we eat and drink at this table? do we remember at this table? Let us pray together. God of grace, thank you for this bread and wine and for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. God of hope, fill us with your spirit today that we might have the wisdom to understand the mystery of this table and the depth and height and breadth and length of your love for us. Through this meal, strengthen us to be followers of Jesus, a community of peace in a broken world. Will you please stand with me? Heavenly Father, I pray your prayer of blessing. I pray a prayer of blessing upon those who are with us this morning did not, did not feel like they could take part with us in, uh, of these elements. I pray your blessing upon them and their families. And may they know that they are still part of our community, part of this family, your child of God. On the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take of this bread and do so in remembrance of me.
On that same night, he took the cup and said, This is my blood which is shed for you. Every time you drink of it, remember of my love and my blood that was shed for you. Let us take. Heavenly Father, as we go our separate ways this holy week in just a few moments, I pray that all of us will not avoid the challenges that may come our way, but may our faith be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to enter in and to engage more fully to that which we see around us. May we be faithful in being followers of Christ. Amen and amen. Before you're dismissed, I know it's after 11.15. You can thank me later. We're going to get out a little late. We're going to take an offering. I'm going to ask our ushers to come at this time. We will sing a hymn together. Now, I don't know if any of you come from the tradition where after they take the offering, there's not enough. The pastor says, all right, we got to do it again. I thought of doing that this morning, but I won't. We'll just take it one time, and I'll be sure to send an email later today. We'll sing a hymn of response here. If I could have the ushers come at this time, and we will take the offering together. Ushers come at this point. All right. Sing the benediction at the end of every, several chapels. I want to do that today. Often it's done after the offering. Thank you for your patience. I want to encourage you to have just a great and wonderful Holy Week. Please find a place of worship this Sunday, this Easter Sunday, and be safe and get back to campus safe on Tuesday. Praise God from Have a great Holy Week. You are dismissed. Go in peace to love God and serve others.